welcome to the podcast, The Common Bridge with Richard Helpy. Rich is a successful entrepreneur in the technology, health, and finance space. He and his wife, Leslie, are also philanthropists with interest in civic and artistic endeavors, but with a primary focus on medically and educationally underserved children. My name is Brian Kruger, and from time to time, I'll be the moderator and host of this podcast. Okay, welcome back to The Common Bridge, and this is part two of Richard's interview with Robert Greenfield. Uh, Just to keep in mind that Robert is in Perth, Australia, so uh, any kind of uh, audio differences you might hear it's it's because of that so we joined this conversation in progress like when you think about the tpp it was heralded as a uh, you know the threshold of a new relationship with china um just you know briefly what is in the the uh, the trans-pacific partnership tpp um what was in that that was positive what was in there that maybe wasn't a great idea, and if there was anything missed. Uh, that's what I think our listeners would like to know because, as you know, in our country, uh, the United States, we have ardent supporters of uh, President Obama. We have ardent supporters of President Trump. But, you, you know, these are both guys that wake up and, you know, put their pants on uh, one leg at a time, and they, there's some things they do that they do well, other things they do not so well. Um, you know, and I think this is a great example. What was in the Trans-Pacific Partnership, the TPP, um, pluses, minuses, omissions, and then kind of, um, then we'll get into a little bit later talking about what President Trump's done. Well, um I'm going to start it from the Trump backwards, which is this. I don't think that Trump's instincts have been wrong uh, on any of this. And I think that his instincts on, uh, and I'm going to use NAFTA as an analogy. So uh, everybody admits, even the Democrats uh, who, you know, pushed it through under Clinton, they all admit it needed a a rewrite. And so, and I think that you saw with uh, Trump and Pelosi and everybody standing there and signing that, just uh, the new agreement, with Mexico and Canada just before Christmas, it shows that bipartisanship can do a rewrite and do a better job than the previous guys, right? So I think with TPP, what the the issue here is Trump threw the baby out with the bathwater. Now, the the wonderful thing about TPP is not what was including included, but it was what was not included. And that was, it did not include China. It specifically left out China. China tried to do its own alternative mechanism and then later came up with this uh, Belt and Road Initiative, which they are using to try to control the world. But the TPP took all the countries of the Asia-Pacific region, including like countries like Canada, Australia, but also Singapore, uh, all the way around the Asia-Pacific region, and put them all together, and the only country not included was China. And Obama got everybody to agree, which was like some kind of a miracle. So inside the trade policy itself, you can talk to trade policy experts and say, wow, you know, that TPP thing, you know, the U.S. could have gotten a better deal. Maybe they could have gotten a better deal. Just like Trump has gotten a better deal for us with Mexico and Canada. So my point on the TPP, and I have a lot of friends that are big-time supporters of of Donald Trump, uh, one, I, I can't use his name, but he was offered to be the ambassador to uh, um, ASEAN. 
and he is a very strong Republican supporter, and he's a very strong TPP supporter. And he tried to get Trump to listen, please don't throw out the TPP. Please try to revise it and give it a Trump patina, which is let's do more of American side and not just give you guys access to our market, which is what everyone's going to say the negative is. Everyone's going to say, oh, yeah, we kept out China, but it still gave preferential treatment to, you know, Indonesia and to a lot of other countries that, you know, we don't necessarily want to give preferential treatment to. But the reality is that that could have been rewritten. What Trump said was, no way, no TPP, America first, I go only to China myself, and then later I'll deal with all you guys. What that did was, unfortunately, Rich, um, by doing that, that left a lot of very weak countries where China is now uh, militarily much stronger. I'm sure you know the so-called nine-dash line, which is that line that goes, you know, almost the entire South China Sea. For your, your listeners, the South China Sea is the body of water that goes from China, and normally there's either a 12-mile or a 200-mile maritime limit, commercial limit. China claims a couple thousand mile limit. So what happens is Trump, by throwing out the TPP, he left a lot of people uh, vulnerable. Those people now are working, you know, if they even if they don't want to, they have to work a bit with China. Now, that being said, to Trump's credit, moving forward here, Trump is much stronger on the military side than, let's say, Obama. Obama was a bit of bluff and bluster, but uh, Trump actually is giving Taiwan new equipment, new aircraft. Trump is actually uh, taking the U.S. Navy and, you know, going through the Taiwan Strait, going up and down the South China Sea. Trump is actually doing some real things that are quite important to protect our friends. Ironically, Vietnam is one of our strongest friends in the region, even though they were a former enemy. They are a bigger enemy of China. So, uh, you know, I'll pause isn't, there for a isn't, second. Isn't, isn't yeah. that something that uh, uh, during our uh, life and in including um, early adulthood, we were fighting Vietnam, who had the support of China, uh, and today Vietnam has a uh, one of the most uh, robust and growing middle class uh, citizenry uh, on the planet. Um, Robert, you know, you mentioned something that I think our listeners would like to hear about. Uh, some of our correspondence that we've enjoyed back and forth uh, through our social media, you talk about the way that the Chinese are methodically gaining access to um, vital resources. Um, I don't know if you named titanium or chromium by, um, by name, but um, that they're playing for the long term and that they are doing it around the world. Uh, could you give a little background on that if, if, I've, if I've read that right? And then, you, you know, what our policy responses have been and, and what's working and what's not working? Okay, so I'm going to give Trump uh, big time credit on this, which is Mike Pompeo. You can like him or dislike him. But Mike Pompeo is one tough hombre. Mike Pompeo, if he gets a sniff that the Chinese are doing a deal with somebody, he's on a plane and over there telling Boris Johnson, you are not signing with Huawei. And then he gets Trump to get on the phone and yell at Boris Johnson. So what the United States is doing is every time that China makes an incursion in anything that is of a uh, critical security nature, uh, the U.S. 
unilaterally steps in and says, no way, and pressures our allies. Now, I don't know if that's a great long-term policy, but I know this, it's gotten the Chinese uh, attention. Um, the Chinese policy, let's just talk about that. So uh, while the U.S. is like fighting a terrific rear guard action here, and whether you're a Trump supporter or not, I think everybody should be uh, thrilled that Mike Pompeo is out there and, you know, he's, he's doing the uh, fighting the tough fight, okay? And um, I wish that he would stay away from the political side and focus on this because it's actually something he's, he's darn good at, okay? So what the Chinese are doing is they started something called the Belt and the Road Initiative. What it really is is a, uh, uh, a policy of expansion for China to essentially reach out to the entire world and to control critical resources, such as the ones that you're talking about, chromium, uh, you know, all of the, the, the metals that go into uh, production of high-tech equipment. So it's, it's to get that, and it's to create ports. Uh, you were going to ask about ports. We, we were going to discuss that. But throughout the world, China now has a plan to reach into places and essentially get the materials that they need that they do not have. You have to remember China only has one uh, great resource, which is 1.4 billion hardworking people. I'm not saying smart, I'm saying hardworking, okay? And these folks, um, they got a plan, and they know how to control their population, which I'm not advocating, but that's what they do, and they're working their plan every day, whether it's on currency, uh, another area that you wanted to talk about, whether they're working on this Belt and Road Initiative, or whether they're working on uh, resources, or whether they're working on you know, the, their top industries. I think the message that I would like to put out there, Rich, before we even go any further is this. China has a plan. That plan includes universities. We haven't mentioned that yet. Um, I know from personal experience where my kids go to university here in, in Australia, 48 out of 50 students in some of the master's degree programs and technical disciplines are from mainland China. And another's one, 100, wow. 100, 100 out of 101 master's degrees in accounting at the University of uh, uh, Australian National University, the number one school in the country. 100 out of 101, mainland China, okay? If you go around, there's over a million Chinese uh, university students, college students, we call it university here, uh, uh, students in Australian universities. There's also close to that number in the United States. And they're not just doing that. You also, and I don't want to be too esoteric here, but there's something called the Confucius Institute, which the United States under Pompeo is starting to shut down in the United States. The Confucius Institutes were ways to fund the, you know, it sounds like a really wonderful, benign thing. We're going to teach everybody Mandarin, right? But the reality is, it's not about teaching Mandarin. It's actually about pushing the Chinese National, uh, the Co Chinese Communist Party agenda, which is to control U.S. Uh, scientific discovery, to take that back. Rich, I know uh, you read every day. How many times you read in a month that some some Chinese guy at some university you know, is taking, taking um, you know, IP back. Just last week at Harvard, are you aware that the head of the, I think it was the physics department, at, at which is a, was a non-Chinese person, was indicted uh, for collaborating with Chinese to take back 
uh, U.S. government secrets to China. Are you aware of that one? Uh, that did make the news, and that's one of the reasons we're doing this podcast is that our news, when you turn it on here, uh, it's a contest between the Democrats and the Republicans and who smeared who and who said what. Um, we're not going after the issues of the day. And I was intrigued by your commentary around the university students was not aware of the magnitude. And, and I know militarily, the Chinese, they challenged President uh, George W. Bush, if you remember the uh, spy plane uh, incident where a Chinese pilot was lost. And very early in the Bush administration, they challenged Obama, uh, basically playing chicken with our destroyers um, in uh, the, the strait. And yeah. I don't recall if they tried to push Trump, and uh, that's probably because I had no idea what the guy might do. But exactly. that, that, that's uh, 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 another piece. Um, but it's real clear that we're going to be competing with China on trade, um, militarily, and for world influence. Uh, you know, there's a school of thought that says that the yuan will become the reserve currency in the world. And I suppose if we don't get after our deficit, somebody else is going to come there, Bitcoin or somebody. But um, where, as you kind of look forward, if you had to pick out, say, three places we're going to really contest the Chinese and some things that we better do and some things we better stop doing, I think that's our listeners would like to you know, have that brought home. Okay. Um Number one is, I would say, and this is not, by the way, number one um, most important, but I think this is, for for me, I think, as a policy decision, and I think the Trump's uh, administration is working on this, which is um, universities. I think that we should stop cooperating uh, at the moment, for at least the, the near term, uh, on universities, meaning that we need to protect our universities and have our universities uh, focus on, as well as, by the way, we need to encourage our allies, such as Australia, Canada, uh, and the UK, those are our closest allies, to not restrict Chinese students, but to make sure that our universities are focusing on what is our needs in focusing on technology that we will own and we will control, and that the United States government should actually be putting money into those areas, which then that IP will be controlled uh, for the benefit of the United States. So I think that that is a critical area. Uh, it doesn't cost a lot of money, but what it does cost is it takes make sure that the United States works with those universities so that they're not uh, told that they're discriminating against Chinese. As, as you know, political correctness becomes uh, an issue in all of these things. Nothing can be just done. So I think that's one area, which is the, the uh, basic research and advanced research. Uh, when I say basic research, not like simple research, but I mean like stuff that is going from, you know, the nano level up to a much uh, yeah. higher level. Yeah, yeah. Na I think na that, nan nanotechnology, um, yes, genetics. Yes. Yes. Um, AI, artificial intelligence, uh, yes. predictive yes. analytics, uh, which yes. I, I personally think are that's what's really going to revolutionize the way we experience human life is, is the yeah. com combination of those. What, what are what are the uh, are there a couple other areas that we're going to compete? Yes. 
I think that an interesting one is the uh, Foxconn story, which did not work out so well for um, Wisconsin. So, the, so the back background Foxconn is a technology supplier. Uh, they were going to build plants in Wisconsin that did not come to pass. Um, so just for the back again, we're technology people. So just for right. folks who don't <laughs> understand what Foxconn is, um, I know that I will have listeners from one part of the political spectrum that they think Foxconn is a news report from the Fox News Channel, <laughs> the, the con, you know, so. <laughs> they're, they're, okay. but, but, Sorry. <laughs> so here's the point I, I wanted to make with uh, Foxconn, which, as you know, is a big supplier to Apple, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they do uh, everything from the glass to the assembly. Uh, and so all the Apple products, all the iPhones, um, they are, I think, 60% of the content type thing. I, w- I mentioned them is mon- that I would like to see a deal with the United States and China to bring manufacturing back to the United States. I think that the United States should sit down with industry executives in the United States and say, Hewlett Packard, what can you bring back from China? Let's start with the engineering. Let's cooperate with Stanford and bring that engineering back. But let's also bring back jobs. That can be done. But that has to be done on a basis that not just kind of like Foxconn, which says we're going to do $5 billion deal and get a bunch of free, you know, Foxconn got a b- bunch of, of tax rebates. I don't want Chinese to get tax rebates. What I want is to see the Chinese actually take some of that mid-tier manufacturing and bring it back to the United States. That's true collaboration. That will say to the Chinese, the Chinese will say to the Americans back and forth, hey, we can work together, two economies, and that's a way. And that thing could result in millions of jobs because the Chinese have millions of jobs that they they could actually bring back here. Just like we gave millions of jobs to them, they can now start bringing that back here. And I'm not talking about making toys. I'm talking about good manufacturing jobs, supply chain type of things. So that's area number two where we can cooperate, okay? And then area number three is not an area of cooperation. Area number three is one that you already mentioned about uh, under the Obama, you know, the military side. I can tell you from riding around in a taxi cab in China that every time the Chinese launch uh, a new destroyer, it's the first thing that goes on to the TV. And every person talks about it on the street. Did you see our new destroyer? It's the fastest. It's the best. We got the most weapons. The Chinese as a people are being told that their military is soon going to be second to none. Uh, And they're pushing it. And they're spending the money. So what we need to do is we need to have a strategy with our allies, not the go-it-alone stuff, but with our allies to unfortunately put the ring around China, which includes South China Sea, which includes actually Trump is doing a lot of this, okay? So I'm not going to be critical of him on this. But I think where Trump lets down is that the go-it-alone is not a good thing. I think we have, he thinks 75 years of history from World War II has been a failure. I would say 95% of the people in the world would disagree with that, including the Americans, meaning that our military presence throughout the world, but in cooperation with our allies, and and look, I'm not going to promote the military-industrial complex, but the fact is we sell a lot of weapons to a lot of countries. We sell a lot of jets to a lot of companies, countries. What that means for us, from job point of view, is not a bad thing. So the third pillar is the U.S. needs to make a strong, credible presence and treaties 
and make those things work so that the Chinese do not become what I would call adventurous. So those three areas to me, which are the important on the research side and stopping the Chinese from taking real IP and future IP. The second one is get the Chinese to actually take factories and bring them back to America, not the nonsense deal like a Foxconn, but actually negotiated by the U.S. government, working with each one of the states. Now, if the states want to sweeten the pot a little bit, that's okay. But those jobs need to be well-paid jobs, okay? And I don't think that the U.S. should be telling China what they need to pay people in China. I don't think that that works. And then the third area is on the military, which is to make sure that the U.S. has a strong, positive military with strong relationships with our partners. Robert, that is uh, excellent, and uh, would like to bring you back for another Common Bridge just to talk about the uh, military competition in that having our allies uh, deny China the ability to build airfields and, and to have ports. Um, certainly, uh, with, our, with the United States military, I believe in 93 countries, uh, the Chinese perhaps have ambitions to, you know, have their warships visit San Francisco at some point. Um, I, I'm, I'm at a loss to explain why a, a hot war with the United States would be good for China or for anyone else, uh, but it is clearly a rising threat, and I, I share your concerns about the military-industrial complex. Robert, this has been an absolutely fascinating discussion I, I know you're up very, very late there in Perth as we're uh, recording this, and so I, I, I'm very grateful. I'm very grateful for your uh, online friendship and now uh, for our uh, dialogue here, and um, hope to uh, meet you if you uh, come to the good old U.S. of A. sometime. Thank you very much, Rich, and I would like to say before closing, uh, I also want to thank uh, Brian, who's uh, supported us here today. Give him a shout out, you know, because there's always a guy behind the microphone or the camera. Thank you, Brian. Thanks a lot, Robert. I appreciate uh, it. And I also want to say this. I think, uh, Rich, and I would like to say this to your listeners if they manage to hang in there all the way to the end. While a lot of this stuff sounds uh, complex, uh, at the end of the day, I really appreciate what Rich is doing to take away the dialogue away from the U.S. domestic, um, you know, Democrats versus Republicans and instead actually look at what uh, our future really is dependent upon, and that is on some international relationships. Uh, China, in particular, is the most important one, and Rich, it's to your credit that you not only spoke to me, but you've had other guests on, so thank you very much for that opportunity. Well, I'm glad to have that, and, and uh, you know, Brian, uh, Robert and I come, so we have a, like mutual social media friends, right? And, and uh, one guy, he's got a talent. He, for uh, he's like a bomb thrower. He throws out something, and he's a very uh, strong Democrat, right? Mm -hmm. And um, Robert, you know, often supports him. And so Robert and I would be going back and forth, and and I, I and most of the time, I think uh, just you know, polite, staying on the facts, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and with kind of this audience around us watching it, uh, you know, contest. Uh, on, on the political front, so that's been it's been a lot of fun, and I, I I think we share the view that the partisan party politics has reached an endpoint in its ability to solve the problems of the country or to seize those wonderful opportunities that we've got. 
um, anybody that watched the antics of the impeachment and the State of the Union address and the aftermath from the State of the Union address, I, I don't care if you're coming from the far right, the far left, or the middle, it, it is not making us look good as a country. And we just need to do a better job. And, and the politicians and the news media outlets will not behave better unless and until we demand that they do it. And in the meantime, we'll try to use forums like this to, uh, to connect directly. You have been listening to Richard Helpy's Common Bridge podcast, recording and post-production provided by Stunt3 Multimedia. All rights are reserved by Richard Helpy. For more information, visit richardhelpy.com.